I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Carol Stout of the Stout's Brewing Company. Respect for one another. There's a tremendous fraternity in the early days of all the brewers respecting uh, what we're doing. And uh, I think people need to remember that and, and go back to that. Our full conversation is coming up next, but first... This episode is brought to you by Deschutes Brewery. Looking for a new main squeeze? Deschutes Brewery has created Fresh Haze IPA as a hazy twist on their iconic Fresh Squeezed IPA. This juice bomb explodes with orange citrus while backed by a soft malt body. Fresh Haze IPA carries both citrus and tropical fruit flavors from Mandarina, Amarillo, and Cashmere hops. You can find Deschutes Brewery beers in 32 states and two Canadian provinces. Go to DeschutesBrewery.com to find their beer near you. Also sponsored by... The Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival. Head to Breckenridge, Colorado from January 9th through 11th, 2020 for the 20th annual Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival. After getting runs in on the mountain, get together with some of the best brewers from around the country as they pour some very special beers. Attend seminars or check out the Intimate Brewers Dinners. I've been a member of the board of this nonprofit festival for years now, but even if I wasn't, I'd still be going every single year. Learn more at bigbeersfestival.com, and I'll see you there. This podcast is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report the stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Hi, this is John Hall, and I have a confession. As a longtime lover of lagers, and especially those made by some of the smaller breweries that are out there these days, I have never visited Stout's Brewing Company. Now, it's been around for the better part of 30 years now, and it's only about a two-hour drive from my house. And while I've been enjoying the beers forever, I have never actually made the pilgrimage out there. And so, as we started this new podcast venture, I really wanted to sit down with Carol Stout. In 1987, she became the first female brewmaster in America since Prohibition, and from a very early uh, time in her brewing career, she was inspired by the Rhein-Heinzgebot, and so she set up uh, a brewery at her husband's restaurant uh, out in Adamstown, Pennsylvania, and this is a place that was already known for great food, uh, steaks and chops and burgers and everything else in between, so adding a brewery seemed like a natural thing to do. And Carol, as the head brewer and as the the, the brewmaster there, uh, really got down to the business of making lagers and and doing it really well. And every time that I was in Pennsylvania and for a short time when I could get them in Jersey, uh, I'd always be stocking up on it. And originally, I went into this conversation thinking that we were going to spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about lagers. But what I realized after walking through the door almost immediately is that, yes, they are also making ales and they are doing things with IPAs that a lot of what we might think of, you know, the younger generation is doing, including Brute IPA. And so with all of the history that she has and everything that she has uh, seen and experienced and brewed over the last 30 plus years, I thought that Carol would have some really wonderful perspective as to how the brewing industry has changed. And so I started off by asking her where she thinks we are in American beer right now. Here's our conversation. What do you make of the beer world in 2019? <laughs> it's crazy. 
Um, it's all over the place. Uh, a lot of people are forgetting about uh, real traditional beer styles. Um, I think a lot of the younger people that are involved in making beer and also their the people who are drinking them are trying to uh, do put everything in the beer from mushrooms to exotic fruits to uh, who knows what. And then you, you uh, have this uh, beer, which uh, I don't even know what style you would call it. I guess it would be uh, Generation X's beer, maybe? Well, I don't know. I'm I, Gen X, so I don't know. You're Gen X, yeah. so would it be... Um, the Millennials? The Millennials beer, maybe? Are, are you talking just the modern drinker right now? I'm talking about the modern drinker right okay. now. So the, 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 the ones who are just getting into... The one... The, yes. Yes. So I guess like that's they the had Millennials their and soda yeah. and their Gatorade, and now they want all sorts of beers, you know, thus the pastry beers, creme brulee beers, dessert beers, um, you know, however exotic... Um, you can go and what happened to the how we started with um, the real loggers the pilsners you know the the mybox um, the alt beers the kolsch's what about these beers they're great uh, they're good for everyone all ages uh, and what about the ales APA does it have to be a triple um, a double and triple IPA you know the more hops the better what about balance what about balance well, what about balance well beers have to be balanced you need enough malt and enough hops to have that balance in the beer you need a front middle and a back you don't want to have something light and a whole bunch of hops that you have to scrape off your tongue. And I love hops, but it has to be the right amount. Um, there's a lot to unpack in all of this because I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if historically, when your brewery opened, when a lot of the other uh, early adopters of the craft beer movement opened up, you, you brought back a lot of flavors that had been missing for a long time and that could almost be seen as radical in the US beer space versus like what was available at the right, time. Right. Right. Everything was pretty much pale lagers mm -hmm. and with the exception of the few imports that we had and obviously Guinness was prevalent uh, but not a lot of imports, you know, just kind of the basics, maybe dab, polaner, mm -hmm. um, not augustiner brow or uh, there weren't very many Belgian beers. I think the first Belgian beer that I had was Chimay. And now <laughs> look look at all the Belgian, Belgian beers. Beer yeah. <laughs> but so when your beers came on though and came in and sort of disrupted this this landscape where it was mostly pale American lagers. Right. I mean, you were getting maybe some of the criticisms that it seems like you were just leveling against some of the newer brewers. Am I wrong on that, or is that... Well, no, people didn't understand, first of all, if this beer is golden mm -hmm. or straw-colored, uh, why does it have to cost three three times? Or if it's like your Oktoberfest, the uh, 
the amber color? Why isn't you know it, it's sweet? Why why isn't it cheap like Yingling? People were connotating the color. If, if it's dark, then it has to be expensive. Yeah, uh, they were kind of they couldn't understand uh, the European ingredients. You know, the the finest malts we were using, the the hops we were using. And the fact that we're small, we're bringing small batches. In those days, it was a 15-barrel batch. Yeah. And everything was quite costly. What did education look like in those early days for the consumer? Well, uh, my time was mostly spent uh, on educating, doing beer tastings, and just getting them to taste and how, how to taste the beer, first of all, not just chug-a-lug it and not in a frosted <laughs> glass. How to taste the beer, and then what are we tasting? You know, we're smelling. What does it smell like? What flavors are in your mouth? What's that aftertaste like? Or doesn't it have an aftertaste? Is it a short finish? You know, just kind of open their ears and eyes on how to taste anyway. And it's and a lot of the um, tastings were primarily male. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, a few ladies came along, but oh, oh, don't pour me any beer. I don't like beer. And I said, okay, fine. You think you don't like beer, but why don't we? You just taste this Hefeweizen, or why don't you just go through them and just take a little sip? And uh, obviously, uh, the women generated or would would enjoy the Hefeweizens and the uh, wit beers or the stouts and the porters. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, what they thought of beer was, you know, the light pale beers that people guzzle and, you know, get drunk with and basically with no, with overcarbonated and, and not flavor. Right. Where I was, I'm talking about flavor. I'm talking about natural carbonation. These were all words. And when I first went out with beer salesmen, well, all they knew was their book with the products they were selling, the beers they were selling, what was the price today, what was the deal, nothing about flavor, nothing on how it was made, the origin about the beer. And so I started, you know, in my walking, uh, driving around with them, to told them, when you talk about Stout's beer, this is what I want you to say about the beer. Not that it you know, costs so much money and it's from Adamstown, Pennsylvania. I want you to talk about flavor with this beer. And if you're interested in flavor, you want flavor. Uh, you want your customers to enjoy something flavorful, right? Yeah. Well, then here's the beer for you. And these beers are drinkable. They are approachable. They're not extreme that, you know, someone that is accustomed to a Bud Miller Coors or Heineken, they're not going to fall off their chair because it's unapproachable. <laughs> These are just well-made, fresh, flavorful beers. I want to explore flavor a little bit because it, it is, I think, one of the, the things that you were, you were saying earlier of, of people adding all sorts of things to, to their beers, from mushrooms to, to everything else, that we're losing some of the taste of what beer is when it's made with the four traditional four. ingredients. Correct. When we go back to traditional beer styles and we think about flavor, and we can just pick one 
beer if you want or two beers if, if you want, whatever, whatever comes to mind. What emerges flavor-wise? What, what should we, as drinkers who have evolved over time or uh, drinkers who are new to craft or independence or whatever we're calling it, uh, who you know, might only know a world where it's lactose strawberry IPAs or you know, mushroom porters or anything else like that, if, if we were to strip it down to you know, you know, your, your lager or you know, even back to, to your American pale ale, which you know, is just you know, a, a classic in so, many, in, in so many ways, what emerges? What should we actually try to tease out without any of these adjuncts? Well, the, the Hellas Lager, the golden lager, the first beer ever made, it's, it's still number our one selling beer, by the way. Uh, it has a bready nose. Uh, you're going to get all kinds of malt sweetness in it. Uh, very low hop profile, but there's hop there. But it's very balanced, um, creamy mouthfeel. Um, so with this particular beer, what is the most important are the different types of roasted barleys in this particular beer. So um, if you would go to a malt house and just taste the different roasted uh, lova bonds of the different barley, this is what you would be tasting in the golden lager. And then hops as well, though, because sure, they do it would play be a too role. sweet. Yeah, yes. Right. Yes. And that goes back to the balance. But you do the holler, we do the German holler tower and tetanang, which is low bittering. Like our uh, golden lager is about 25 bittering units. So obviously um, it's just enough there to balance out the malt. But the malt is what really shines in that beer. So when we move on to something like the American pale ale then, though. Yes, well, that's a, our Cascade beer. That's our Pacific Northwest beer. Uh, and all American ingredients. So here, what we have is the spicy nose uh, on the aroma, and we have a nice piney, spruced flavor, and a nice long, bitter finish. I'm wondering, though, like these days, when, when I think for some of the, the beers that are being made, it takes the guesswork out of it. If somebody says, here is our... You know, mango, pineapple, whatever. You're going to be looking for that right sure. away. And you don't necessarily have to go much deeper with it. But with some of the, I think, traditional beer styles that, we're, that we've been talking about, you do have to pay attention to the beer. You do have to, you know, not listen to it. That's, that's the wrong thing. But, but sort of concentrate on it to see what emerges for you, the drinker. Exactly. And, you know, if you're doing, you go around the table, a lot of times people will just kind of say what the next person said to them. But uh, really everyone may have, they may taste something slightly different than I would taste. And, and that's just okay. I know that you do have ales and uh, I'm seeing your, your triple and... Uh, uh, all of the, a variety of different styles, mm -hmm. mostly in the uh, in in the in the classic range or the the traditional beer style range. Um, I have long thought of your brewery, though, as a lager house, as a, a place where lagers are are sacred. Absolutely, we pride ourselves in making lagers. We take our uh, attention to detail in the fermentation. 
uh, we do decocting of our lagers. Really? So we're getting, yes, a lot of people say it's crazy. You don't have to do that <laughs> because, you know, our, our malt, because of the quality of the malts. Are, it are takes right? an extra hour. Okay. An extra hour to the day. And we personally feel it gives a longer shelf life and it's more body. And I actually, for one of the uh, CBG conferences early on, I did I did a single infusion, um, a step infusion, and decoction, and I had everyone try. I had uh, the difference, and of course, they all liked the decocted one. Well, but these these uh, serious uh, professors, you know, they you know they couldn't believe that it actually was a decocted one because they said there's no reason to do that because the malts aren't inferior like it used to be. Well, I think, but you said this was slightly slightly better. Can you remember what was the were there primary differences in the taste? They were or very the subtle. Okay. Very subtle. It's just the um, mouthfeel, the, the body of the decocted one w- was slightly better. A little more full, a little more... More full-bodied. Okay. Yes. yes. What drew you to lagers when you began as a brewer? Well, uh, I never cared for beer until I married my husband. We traveled to uh, Germany on our honeymoon, and of course, everywhere you go there's beer. And I was, I remember my first uh, seven minute Pilsner. I had to wait seven minutes for a Pilsner with a lovely luscious head. Yeah. The slow and I, pour. of course yeah. you're in Germany, you, you're not going to drink a Jim, uh, uh, Tom Collins or, a, or anything. <laughs> well, you you drink, people might look at you funny. But they yeah. would look at me funny. So I drank beer and I actually liked it. I liked the flavor. And a double bock, which was delicious. And every little town was, uh, every little uh, town had a little another little brewery, and all making maybe two or three different beers, and they were all delicious. They were fresh. They were unique. Served in the un- in their own glass, their appropriate glass for a pilsner, the appropriate glass for a double bock, yeah. and that impressed me. So uh, and. My husband, this was 75, so we went back to Germany many years later, and we would go to a different region, and we went to Cologne, tasted all the Kolsch beers, to Dortmund. The Dortmunder beers, though, are almost non-existent anymore. Um, that's, That's one style that we tried to bring back with the gold, but... We ended up making more of a, a, a Hellas, more of a Munich style. Yeah. But and the all was beers. that just was that just flavor preferences on behalf of the customers when you started to make yes. it? Yes. Okay. Yes. We we made it a little. Um, what should I say? It was a little um, more uh, alcohol mm-hmm. than the Dortmunder's heavier beer, a little bit more full bodied, and we made it a little lighter, and the consumer likes that the best um so but you kept going around and yes. then you were saying that and we went to all beer all beers we couldn't sell for the life of us really hard time so we dropped the alt beer and then made our scarlet lady with uh, a nail with the maris otter and that goes over that has been 
very successful, but we could not. And the Nalt beer is, is obviously it's different than the than the ESB, but the alt beer is more malty. Yeah. Using a, and a lot of malt sweetness. Could not sell it it's for amazing. the life of us. Do you think I, you could today? Probably not, because everyone wants hops. Okay. <laughs> and like, why is I mean, and yeah, all, but all beers have hops. Right. But they want lots of hops. Yes, more. more and they hops want than, a lot yeah. of the new sexy hops. You know, the um, like Mandarin Bavaria is a is a sexy hop. Um, the uh, Nelson hops, Nelson Savans, very sexy. Uh, Mosaic is yep. really hot. Uh, and we use mosaic in our gear, gear shifter. I was going to ask if, if, if those came into the brew house. Yes, or... yes. Okay. Uh, it was actually, we got a, um, I always wanted a two-barrel experimental system, and my husband always said I was crazy. Why, when we have this nice brew house? I said, because to play. So I actually bought one without his uh, <laughs> approval three years ago. <laughs> And we love it. And the first beer actually brewed on it was the uh, first of the gear shifter. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I just took a, a quick tour before we started with uh, with uh, Tom, who uh, I guess handles sales for yes, you guys, yes. uh, he pointed out the the pilot system and said that you're still uh, getting in there quite a bit. And I love that. Uh, yes. Messing around. <laughs> um, what do you like to experiment with right now? Well, there. You can get all these new varieties of hops, and uh, we just get some in and then just play with them. You know, uh, the Howler Tower Blanc was one we just got in and we're playing with. That's now in our hoppy pills that we're doing. And just to see what's, like if you want to do a beer that maybe has some pineapple or, or, or citrus, mango, yeah. you don't have to add the fruit. You just find a hop that parlays that. Um, one of our sales ladies said about doing a um, an apple beer for the fall. Okay. Anyway, I don't know if we're going to do that. And I said, well, we'll see if we can get a hop that I don't think we we'll can. We will be able to. But yeah. anyway, that's kind of what we like to do. I like to do. I like to play with the different hops. And we're also using a lot of oats, a lot of uh, some more cereal grains. Oats are wonderful. Fat Dog was the first beer that we did have oats, uh, and I think it just gives a creaminess to it. And we've added oats in some of our new experimental beers, and just to give it a more clump, complex body. I mean, but that sounds sort of like where the industry is going as well, where there are a lot of uh, the newer brewers who are doing some of these IPAs that are heavily oated or, you know, even if they are adding lactose yes. and, and other things like that. But it does sound, you know, in, in the beginning, I, I do think of this as a very traditional brewery, but I think experimentation or how, how important is experimentation to sort of. Well, I think it keeps one, you keep fresh. The on. Yeah. Okay. And yes. And we have to keep the lights on. Right. We could not uh, just sell the Pilsner Golden Lager Fest and Bach beers, hard to sell. One right. year, there was one time I did three different Bachs, an Amber Bach, a Double Bach, and a, a My Bach. Yeah. And My Bach always was the more popular one, but even the My Bach, uh, which we do as still as a spring seasonal, we may abort it next year for a while because we can't sell it. People love it. If you do a beer tasting, they love it. 
they love it to come here and drink it, but people don't want to buy it. Hmm. And um, bar, bar managers, are they don't want to put a Bach beer on either because it'll sit. Staying fresh. So why is that? <laughs> I, I, if I knew, I would, you know, I'd be in a different line of work. I'd you know, be I out know. there with my crystal ball at, at, at this point. But staying fresh, though, to, to get back to that, of, I think that that's one of the things that, or I'm curious, I'm curious your standpoint, because this brewery has been around for almost 35 years now. Correct. And there are other breweries in uh, your class, as, as it were, who have been around for as long or maybe a little bit longer or maybe just a little bit less. And... I'm hearing that times are tougher because it is the newer, the, the brewers who have the tap rooms, who have the, yes. you know, the, the everything. And so staying fresh, it's either adapt or die, I think, in, in sort of this industry right now. It's is really that? scary. We looked at doing a tap room in, you know, one of our market areas. Uh, but, like, let's say I couldn't do it in Philadelphia because I wouldn't want to upset some of my best accounts. Because, uh, but Philadelphia is booming now with yeah. with uh, breweries. You know, Victory's putting Victory in a just big win. Yeah. Uh, Evil Genius has one. Yards has a huge win. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are more. But then that's going to hurt the bar business because you know, typically the the, the beer bars they want to get all the local beers or some. Uh, bars in Philly just handling local beers but if you're but if you have a large brew pub down the street uh, why is that bar going to sell that beer they probably won't and but I I know why the breweries are doing that because they really want volume because years ago we were lucky to have our regular accounts that they would have one of our beers maybe a seasonal and sometimes you even get a third if you're lucky now <laughs> it's an embarrassment of riches yeah now you're lucky to keep now you're a rotator yeah and it's hard to get them to rotate even within your line so yes that's why people are doing it because we're losing volume right can you make it up though in the taproom model do you think if you went into philly I don't, I wouldn't go, I'm not, I, I won't not do that. Do it. Okay. I, I, I have too much respect for some of my good accounts. I won't do it. I don't want, at my age, I don't want another property. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. And I also want people to come here. Well, let's talk about here because one of the, my complaints these days about uh, tap rooms, and I, I feel like I'm an old man whenever I do this, is a lot of the time they just sort of feel very sterile or cookie cutter or, hey, here's our place that has metal chairs and Edison bulbs and uh, our, you know, our taps are affixed to the wall and, and, and that kind of thing. And when I walk into a, a, a restaurant, a brewery like yours, I, I'm sort of taken aback uh, by just everything that is in front of me like, you can't help but sort of slow down and look at everything on the wall we're sitting in your uh, you call this the, the this is the brewery room right? yeah and uh, if you're looking all the well all the bottles up there or some of the beers that we tasted when i first started the brewery and yeah. uh, and with our travels and all of the proliferation of, of all of our different labels 
you see those large 750 milliliter bottles that I... Yeah, talk uh, about a package that doesn't sell anymore, huh? I know, I know. But I had to do it at that time because uh, I, uh, my husband bought me this uh, 1901 bottle filler. And uh, <laughs> did you know I was draft only for the first two years? I don't know if I did know that. Well, I didn't want to get into pat, uh, a bottling line. A, a lot of money, and I'm not very mechanical. Right. But obviously, you need a bottle package. Right. So um, my husband bought me this 1901 bottle filler for antiquity to put in the beer garden for people to look at. What's that? Well, um, I got a friend of mine who is a plumber, and I said, see that this thing will work so he hooked it up we cleaned it i went up to the uh, the local winery mount hope and got 10 bottles of that time green glass sure and we started uh filling bottles and of course the air levels were quite high and <laughs> i was gonna say yeah <laughs> but we ended up at least i could say um they lasted at least uh, a little quite a while so that I could sell them retail just had to tell people to keep them refrigerated and drink them soon that's and not unlike I, what's happening with the modern brewers today though of keep cold drink fresh I know because now we age yeah now we get these barrels <laughs> and we put beer in the barrels and then how long do we age them one year two year three years Ooh, and then after we age them how much how long do we sell them <laughs> So, in the evolution, though, of, of packaging, if, if you were, is it fair to say you were reluctant at first to package? Or yes, was it just, I was. Okay. I was draft only. I yeah. thought this is your best product, your best step forward. Everyone has a beer meister at home, yeah. so they can buy their kegs. I'm teasing. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I still don't have one. I'm, I'm looking for one. But it's... Uh, um, but then you transitioned into the the twelve ounce bottles, and that's still largely where you are these days. I'm, I'm sure you get the question: Are cans in the future for your brewery? We do. Gear Shifter was our first can, and we rent a, a mobile mobile system. Yeah. Um, right now, if I get a bunch of money, I'll buy a canning line. But I again, here's another question: I don't personally believe all beers should be in a can. I think some beers. Uh, are best suited in a bottle. Which styles? Especially think? like the triple, the the fat dog, the double IPA. Uh, and, a double and, IPA in a bottle versus a can. Well, I know most people say sixteen ounce can. Right. I just, I don't want to drink a double IPA sixteen ounces at a time. Right. So I kind of like the idea of a bottle. But that's me. Okay. I'm a, I am I am outnumbered. I know. In fact, my uh, sales team they want to put our double IPA. They, it's going to be rebranded, so they want to put that in a sixteen ounce can. What's the double IPA clock in it? Uh, it's nine percent. All right, yes. that's a that's a hefty pint. Yeah. Yeah. But do you want to drink sixteen ounces? I might have one. One sixteen ounce. Okay. Yeah. I, maybe. Well, also, I'm, you probably, I'm, I'm you not probably the demographic you're looking at. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm not. I'm really not a good arbiter of what is a smart decision when it comes to drinking or not. 
I think uh, marketing-wise, it's probably best to do it in the 16-ounce-wise. Okay. 16-ounce can, I think, marketing-wise. My uh, Philosophically, though, I, I like it a certain temperature, and by the time, not cold, but a yeah. certain cool, and by the time I'm getting to the end of that can, it's going to be warm. But that's me. I guess I have to start drinking faster. Sure. Well, <laughs> just practice more. That's uh, that's what it comes down to. But so this room aside, though, this is a fully functioning restaurant. This oh is, yes, yes. This is, and that was something that was almost necessary in the in the early days, right? Of running a brewery was having some sort of food element because yes, well, people might travel for breweries these days. Back in the day, you needed something else to bring them in, and then, oh, by the way, we have... But this was my husband's restaurant way before I was even married to him. So uh, the brewery just was an add-on, and then we brought in, like, old... Uh, my husband collects antiques, so obviously this room has a lot of the old uh, Lan Lancaster County, Lebanon, uh, the beer trays and the mirrors uh, from from a lot of the local the local breweries that aren't here anymore so what, so what yeah. worries me is there are so many breweries pennsylvania has now over 300 mm -hmm. um there's one down the street in reamstown there's a couple in Ephrata. uh who's going to drink all these beers how can they all survive because people still drink wine they still drink cocktails and then there are some people that just stop drinking because it's not, they say it's not healthy. So what's going to happen to all these, these breweries? What's going to happen? I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I think, unfortunately, some will close. And not because their beer isn't good. It's just because um, you have to sell enough to be profitable. Uh, you know, to get the, your best equipment, best ingredients. You know, the in price of ingredients keeps keeps going up. Yeah. Uh, well, the farmers need to get paid, obviously, for the for the hops and the malt. I don't know. It's it's very scary. And I think there's only so much you can charge for a beer. You know, they always say beer is is recession proof. Uh, but if you're using a lot of fancy ingredients, these new these new hops from New Zealand and South Africa are quite expensive. And can you actually pass that cost over to the consumer? I don't. I'm not sure. When you when you think about going back on the uh, thirty plus years. I mean, you, you must have had scary moments as well of whether or not you were going to yes. keep the lights on. Yes, very scary. Well, and that's why um, we kind of sold beer whoever, want to, whoever wanted to. At one time, I was in 13 states. People called on the phone saying, Could, I'd like to sell your beer. I read this article. Well, they'll buy a couple pallets of beer for a couple years, but you know, in this day and age, if if you don't have the marketing dollars and the salespeople in that market to support the beer, it, it's not going to last. So I made a conscious dis decision, similar to when I first started, to just sell my beer in Pennsylvania 
Tom keeps trying to sell beer in New Jersey and elsewhere. <laughs> well, bring it back, please. Uh, but uh, we have to take care of our home market first uh, to make sure that uh, we're not bypassed. I don't. Is that right? I don't know. There's I'm not, so many. I'm not sure. And that I, I, I find that so interesting, right? Because I, I'm sure with the career that you've had. Would you hope for more answers at this point rather than more yes. unknowns? I knew, yes. I mean, the, the hardest decision was sometimes on which seasonal, what, what winter beer are we going to do this year? I mean, you know, maybe that was troubling or, uh, um, you know, just keeping a healthy sales staff. But, but now the troubling part is, you know, how do we survive? in 2020 going forward. Uh, should we cut some of our old faithfuls? Pilsner is hard, is a hard sell. Is it? Very hard sell. It's a beautiful beer. It's won probably more awards than any of the other beers. Tough sell. We rebranded it recently, changed, changed the packaging. Uh, in this mar In the local market, like we can't sell. We can't give it away. Doesn't sell. See, I, I wanted to get into that with you because I, these days, if if you read beer media or what's left of it, there are folks who say you know pilsners are the are the next big thing, lagers are the next big thing, and um, and and maybe I've bought into that hype. But when I look at thirteen percent of the marketplace is craft, eighty seven is still the big players, more or less. But sure. more, of course, which are pilsners and lagers. The way to grow the pie, I, I've thought, and people have told me, uh, is to appeal to that 87% for lager and pilsner drinkers. But if you're a serious lager house, which which you are, mm -hmm. uh, and you're saying that it's so, I should be really here. going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now the the golden lager is number one without any effort. Okay. And. Um, that's the Hellas. Yeah. Yes. The Hellas was our first beer ever made. And just a couple years ago, it was number six on the totem pole. Okay. So when we looked at the numbers of all the different beers last year, Tom said, oh, my God, look at the, look at the Hellas numbers. And we don't know where. Why? Why? We don't know why. It must be at, 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 the, uh, at the beer stores or at, you know, at the grocery store. It must be selling there. Yeah. But the Pilsner yeah. just... Is it moving? Nope. Huh. Does that, as a... We'll still make it because we lo I love the beer. I was going to ask, yeah. Now, it sells to, like, like restaurants, like in Philadelphia, high-end restaurants, if the chef in, is involved in decision-making. A lot of chefs love love the, the German-style pills. But it's just, it's a tough sell to the customer. It's a tough sell, in, especially in the local market. As a Pittsburgh, also it's a Pittsburgh, Philadelphia a little bit. Pittsburgh can't sell Pilsner out there. Steelers fans, it's just <laughs> inexplicable, <laughs> I uh, know. as it were. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Oktoberfest, our fest beer is a very good seller. That's a strong lager. Yeah. Uh, Maybach, um, all those wonderful Bach beers we make are, are just hard, hard to sell. So um, we even put one of our 
double box in yeah. a, a, a new series, barrel-aged series. So we put a double box in a red wine barrel, aged it. Um, when you first started brewing, did you think you'd be doing this type of thing? Ever, no. <laughs> I just thought I'd be making all the lagers I could make. What appealed to you in the beginning to, to make lagers? When you decided to... Let, let's well, first up. of all, it's my husband's favorite style. Okay. He thinks lagers rule the world. Well, I guess they do. Yeah. Um, and this area is very Germanic, and they like lager beers. Okay. Would it have been your preference when you first started brewing to, to follow through with lagers? Or do you think you would have gone in a different way if it had been different circumstances? But well, you, you know, still a good wife a always listens to her husband. No. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near that. That's, uh, no, I'm this is how I get. This is how I get in trouble. Yeah. You know, it 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 made sense to start this way. Yeah. And of course, six years into it, I start doing ales. Yeah. And I find myself liking to experiment with ingredients, and of course, with when you're making all different types of ales, uh, it you really uh, gives you a little more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. What would you, are there styles that you haven't made yet? Are there things that are out there right now that are rattling around in your brain that you want to experiment with? Or, mm. you know, if you could have a, a dedicated tap handle to just the beer uh, that would make you happiest? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm really pretty happy with all the beers we make. If anything, um, we do a kettle sour. We've done two, and my daughter, uh, Elizabeth, who runs our restaurant and events, she loves sours. So if anything, in the future, if I could build a little brewery next to her property, at the end of our property, it would be a little, a little farmhouse brewery to make sours. Have you experimented with, with fermentation? Them much? Yeah, we haven't a lot uh, because we're very nervous about cross contamination. Yeah. So we do it very carefully. Yeah, I've only done it uh, three times in okay. thirty some years. Very, yeah. It's just they're a little nervous to do it, but I think that would be funny, uh, fun to have airborne fauna and flora you know, in open fermentation. I wonder if it goes two ways, right? Where when you have brewers who have been doing this for uh, a, a shorter period of time when they come here, uh, I, I imagine that there is the, almost the, the, the excitement that I had and sort of the sense of respect of, you know, everything that this brewery has contributed to the U.S. brewing scene. Um, and, you know, getting to see your, your, your cellar and, uh, you know, getting to taste all, all, all of the lagers. Do, do you get that when you go visit some of these brewers where they're just letting the bugs play? Yes, uh, it's exciting. Now? Yeah. I was lucky to go with Pierre Sellis, my husband, over in Belgium. Sure, and we famous visited, for garden. yeah. And uh, we visited Afligum and, uh, you know, Cantillon and a bunch of these small breweries and that was I mean you think you know beer and then you go to Belgium and <laughs> I don't think I do <laughs> and that was just really you know, really exciting for me to do that and I would love to do that with my daughter someday 
or maybe she and my son-in-law will do that. Would you build a second brewery where you could just play around, where you could just have if open I, fermentation? If I would, it would be at the end of the property. Okay. I, obviously yes. not in Philly. No. Yeah. Okay. Because no, you're no. saying, you, you just said before that you don't want to have another property, and then well, 10 minutes later you're saying, well, yeah, if I build something else down the road, it's... Yeah, uh, but it would be on this property, okay. and it's a total different... And it's only because I couldn't do it in, in my brew house. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want any more businesses. Okay. You just so want to make beer, though, it seems. Just want to make beer. What appealed to you to get into beer making to begin with? If you're saying, yeah, on your honeymoon in 75, you're, well, you're drinking beer for the first time. I was a, I stayed home. I was a teacher, former kindergarten teacher, and stayed home to raise my five children. And when my youngest was ready to start school first grade full time I thought do I want to go back to teaching or do I want to do something to uh, help support my husband's business I didn't want to cook for him or be his hostess or anything and when you go to Europe and visit these lovely breweries with their guest house and their beer garden uh, we started the beer garden together in 1979 so the only thing that was missing was the making beer, making yeah. your own beer. So that's why, to kind of complete this whole property. Yes, I could have done wine, but I'm not that patient. Till all till you plant all those vines and then till they grow, till you can actually make wine. The beer just and with the name Stout, it just kind of made sense. Sure. Beer. Are people confused when they walk in and see mostly lagers and a few pale ales? Uh, not really. I mean, are people asking for stouts when they come in, like without the D? Oh, yes, of course. Oh, initially. No, 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 I'm sorry. In the beginning, that was really hard because a lot of people said, I don't like stouts. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) How dare you? Yeah. So, yeah, I went through that a lot. I should have came out with a stout first. A whole line of stouts like Larry Bell did. Yeah. Well, that was Sierra Nevada's first beer was a, was a, was a stout, I believe. It was either the stout or the porter. They, the pale ale, I think, was their third batch. Are you serious? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The internet is fact-checking me right now, and if I'm wrong, then they'll come back and, and I'll tell you if I'm wrong. But I'm fairly confident that like their first, their first beer was either a porter or a stout, and I think it was an actual... I knew one year Larry Bell had 19 different stouts. Sure. Why not? I, okay. But hindsight, <laughs> I shouldn't have made my husband's favorite beer, the Hellas. I should have made all, a whole line of stouts. Then I wouldn't have had an issue. You would have been, yeah, you would have been ahead of the curve. Uh, you could would have, have been ahead of it. Yeah. Where do you think beer goes from here? Where do you want beer to go from here, I guess, is a... I don't know. I I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, I think beer will always be around, and I'm I'm hoping that um, the consumers respect 
the quality craft brewers that making that are making distinctive styles and help support them so that we are here forever uh, so that we don't go back to beer wasteland when it was when I first started yeah do you think that's a possibility do you think we could revert back that far I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime I don't know I don't think so I don't know I mean, look, now, did you ever think people would be drinking seltzers? No. Do you know that White Claw is out selling uh, Miller Lite in Philadelphia? I've seen, I've seen some of the articles based on that. Now, that, that is scary. Why? Okay. It's scary as a beer maker. Yes. Okay. But obviously, I mean, I think Miller Lite is one of the most the better of the light beers but for my taste yeah if i had if i had a, a choice yeah. between the three Bud miller cores i do miller well. light yeah. yeah um would you make a seltzer no i'm there's a, beer a lot maker. of declarative sentences here but there's a lot of beer makers who are who are i making know seltzer i know i think evil genius is making coming out with a seltzer sure i mean sam adams right now is oh look at look at him truly yes i mean they're they're I that's think another, they're second in line to White Claw, yeah, if I'm I not that's, mistaken. That's true. There, I don't want to. I really don't want to. I'm passionate about beer. I'm not passionate about seltzer. How important is passion over? Because I mean, there's there's accountants who will look at the bottom line for some of these companies and say, and I'm sure some of your accountants, if they're looking at your ingredient lists early in the days of of you know bringing in imported ingredients and all of that, will say, well, but for we could do it cheaper. We could do it smarter. We could, whatever. How, how? Our accountant, when we first showed him the business plan, thought we were crazy. <laughs> yes. Wow. Because it has, it has to be a lot of passion and love because yeah. it's not a get, it's not a, a get rich quick kind of game. Yeah. That's how important passion is, though. I think it's very important. I mean, Ken Grossman has a lot of passion. Larry Bell has a lot of passion. Is that something that... Now, Jim Cook is passionate. He's a great businessman. He's just a brilliant businessman. I have a lot of respect for him. And I think he just likes to prove that he can do a lot of you know tease i think he can do it all mm -hmm. and he can for the newer generation of brewers and the newer generation of drinkers you use the word respect uh just a just a, a minute or so ago um and passion as well it's sort of a two-way street right what what can we all learn or what should we all be thinking about uh in in your opinion when it comes to respect of beer but also passion of beer to sort of keep some of these traditions alive and some of this momentum well going. i think people you know if they want to start be to keep our, our beer going um you know these the new generation of beer drinkers should look at the history of the whole craft beer movement and how it all happened and the hard work uh and due diligence uh, for us to continue to grow and making the beer styles that we believed in, true beer styles, and then, of course, tweaking our own. 
with a lot of blood, sweat, toil, passion, respect for one another. There's a tremendous fraternity in the early days of all the brewers respecting uh, what we're doing. And uh, I think people need to remember that and, and go back to that and, and, and so that and help support that belief. I mean, look at the breweries in, in, in Europe, uh, how they've survived, survived back in the, what, 1500s? Yeah. Uh, they're still there. I mean, yes, some of them have closed or mergered, but, but the, 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 the idea of these old world beer styles that were created hundreds and hundreds of years ago they need to carry on. Is that the plan for the brewery here, to continue to carry on? Yes, I hope so. I hope someone takes over for me after I die. If you could look forward into the future, what would you like to see this brewery be in 50 years? <laughs> wow. Making the same beers that we're making and adding some new ones. The continual evolution with the Con nod towards history. Absolutely. I like it. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. This is uh, this has been a lot of fun. This is uh, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to drink your beer, and it's uh, exciting to to Would finally you like be to, here. Do you want to taste some beers? Yeah, let's turn this off and go have a beer. All right. All right. Thank you so much. That's Carol Stout of the Stouts Brewing Company in Adamstown, Pennsylvania, offering perspective of more than 30 years in the beer industry and sort of the uncertain times that are ahead for a lot of folks. If you haven't had the chance to visit, like I didn't for so long, remedy that. Go visit Adamstown, Pennsylvania. Go drink some lager. Go get some steaks. Uh, enjoy this really fun walk down memory lane, but also uh, innovation and tasting what they're doing there. My thanks to Carol and everybody for the hospitality uh, in, in having us out there for that. Before we go, I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by the Deschutes Brewery. Extra time, craft, and passion are parts of every Deschutes beer, including Fresh Squeezed IPA. Available all year round, Fresh Squeezed IPA is full of juicy citrus and grapefruit flavors, as if fresh citra and mosaic hops were squeezed straight into every bottle. You can find Deschutes Brewery beers in 32 states and two Canadian provinces. Go to DeschutesBrewery.com to find their beer near you. This is also brought to you by the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival. Head to Breckenridge, Colorado from January 9th through 11th, 2020 for the 20th annual Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival. After getting runs in on the mountain, get together with some of the best brewers from around the country as they pour some very special beers. Attend seminars or check out the Intimate Brewers Dinners. I've been a member of the board of this nonprofit festival for years, but even if I wasn't, it would still be on my annual destination list. Learn more at bigbeersfestival.com, and I will see you there. This show is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at beeredge.com. Before we go, if you like what you hear, uh, please consider subscribing to this podcast. New episodes will come out every Wednesday. 
If you have suggestions on how we can make it better, guests you'd like to hear, or really any feedback at all, you can reach me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can reach me on the social medias on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Next week on the show, it's Garrett Marrero of the Maui Brewing Company. We talk about sustainability, we talk about titles, we talk about the ever-changing nation uh, notion, I should say, of what it means to be a brewer going into a whole new decade. I hope you'll tune in and enjoy that. For now, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. We'll be back next week to drink beer and to think beer. Cheers. Cheers.